every spiritual resource comes from Him, yet at the same time, in a way that we cannot fully explain or understand, at the same time, all of those spiritual resources are bound up in the prayers of God's people, in the asking of God's people. must ask ourselves, how is it that Paul can pray and ask God to give to the Ephesians what he just said God had already given to them? In fact, he just said it in verses 13 and 14, where he affirmed in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our, of our inheritance. So he affirms. And then from last week, verses 15 and 16, he says, I'm praying for you as fellow believers because I am certain of your status as fellow believers because of your faith and your love. So Paul has now confirmed it two times that God has given the Spirit to the Ephesians. We talked at length when we were in verses 13 and 14 about how how it is true that when upon conversion, instantaneously, in a moment, the Spirit is given to the believer and the believer is sealed for eternity. That is an everlasting giving of the Spirit. But here in verses 17 and 18, Paul asks that God would give to the Ephesians what he just affirmed that God has already given to them. So how are we to understand this? This is a difficult aspect of the text that we must wrestle with and really never come away with a complete understanding. I remember back in my seminary days, I remember uh, the preaching classes I took of all the things that were said, some of them stuck, stuck, some of them took, others didn't. But of all the things that I heard, one thing really stands out, one piece of advice, one teaching really stands out that has helped me again and again, and it was this. Never preach what you don't understand. That sounds like common sense, doesn't it? I mean, surely we wouldn't try to preach what we don't understand ourselves. But all the times, as I was preaching a text, I didn't understand it as fully as I thought I did. So, good advice. Never try to preach what you don't understand. Having said that, let me say that I don't understand this. this. This is beyond us. We are talking about a divine, omnipotent creator being whom we can never fully understand. And this is an aspect of his nature that we cannot fully understand. But we must endeavor to understand what we can. So how is it that we can grapple with this, this request by Paul that comes immediately on the heels of affirming that God has given the Spirit, he then asks that God would give the very same Spirit. How do we understand this? Well, we also see in Scripture, there, there are numerous times that we see Paul asking God to, or, 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 or I'm sorry, Paul affirming that we must nurture or grow what God has given 
to us. For example, when Paul says to Timothy, uh, he says, fan into a flame the gift of God that you received. In that text, uh, Paul is, is speaking specifically of Timothy's gift of preaching and teaching. And he says to Timothy, God has given you this gift of preaching. Now, now you must fan this into a flame. And we understand the same concept applies in a lot of different, different areas in our Christian life. But that's really not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's not talking about a gift that God has given us. Paul's not saying, God has given you this gift, now I ask that God would continue to work this gift. This is something different. He's not asking about a gift. Paul is talking about a person, the Spirit. So that might help us a little bit, but not very much. But then we also see in Scripture that we are told that the Spirit is given to us. In having the Spirit, we must now put on the new person. We must now put on the new spiritual person. For example, both to the Colossians and to the Thessalonians, Paul is going to say a similar thing. Early in the letter, he's going to affirm that you have received the Spirit. And then later in the letter, he's going to say things like, now put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, etc. In other words, he begins the letters to the Colossians, to the Thessalonians and others, he begins by affirming that God has given His Spirit to you. And then later he's going to say to put on the fruits of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit or the character of the Spirit. So that's a little bit closer to what Paul's saying here to the Ephesians, but still, still not there. This is still something of a different nature where Paul says God has given has sealed you with His Spirit. Now I pray that God gives you His Spirit. So let me offer a couple of thoughts that might help us to think through this. Now I don't have a Scripture and a verse for these. and This is in essence, this is me trying to work this out, thinking through how, how we are to understand this. So take it for what it's worth. It's just it, it's some thoughts that I have that will help us wrestle with this. And the first thing is this. We should be careful not to think of the Spirit as something material, as something that occupies space or time. The Spirit, by definition, is immaterial. The Spirit does not occupy time. The Spirit does not occupy space. The Spirit does not have a body. By definition, He's Spirit. When people believe upon Christ and the Spirit comes to live in them, they don't weigh more than they weighed when they were unbelievers. They didn't weigh 150 when they were believers and now they weigh 165 because now the Spirit is living in them. That's not how the Spirit works. The Spirit is not a material being. And so when God gives the gift of an immaterial person, we, we do, I think, need to think about this a little bit differently. Let's take this example. Let's say that I were to give something material to you. Let's say uh, I take these keys to the building and I give them here to Miss Sharon. And, and I give these keys to you. You have them. They're in your possession now. They're a material, physical thing. And when I give a physical, material thing, you possess it. You have it. It's in your possession. You can lose it. You can give it back. You can give it away. But it's in your possession. I can't give it to you again. Not so with something immaterial. 
when something immaterial is given, it's of a different nature than, than something that's material and given. Let's take the example of brotherly love like we talked about last week. If I give unto you brotherly love, that's an immaterial thing that I give to you. But if I'm going to give it to you, I must constantly, continually give it to you. That might help us to, con- to, to think well about God giving the Spirit to us. God's giving the Spirit to us is not a one-time possession that He hands over to us when we believe upon Jesus and then we've got it. God's giving of the Spirit to us is continual, moment by moment for eternity. The giving of the Spirit is the Spirit's work in us that continues to work in us for eternity. And so in that way, we should guard ourselves against thinking of the Spirit as as a book that God gives us or a set of keys that God gives to us and then we have it. The Spirit is not a material thing. The Spirit is a person, an immaterial person that's given to us and then continually given to us for eternity. That's the first thing that, that might help. The second thing that might help is this. I see in the Scriptures that God emphatically wants us to know at least two things about the spiritual resources that He gives to us in order for us to live the Christian life. The, the, the chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. Every resource. God wants us to know at least two things about that. Number one, He wants us to know clearly that He's the source of all those. He is the source of every Every good thing. As, as James says, every good thing comes from the Father of light above. But in particular, as we're speaking about the resources, the spiritual resources of living the Christian life, all of those come from one source, and that source is God the Father. But also, God also wants us to know that those resources are somehow given to us in a way that's bound up with our asking for them. God wants us to know that every spiritual resource comes from Him. He promises them to us. He guarantees that they are ours. Yet at the same time, in a way that we cannot fully explain or understand, at the same time, all of those spiritual resources are bound up in the prayers of God's people, in the asking of God's people. God has determined that His Blessing in Christ is available to every believer in Christ, everyone who is chosen and adopted and redeemed and forgiven. Yet, at the same time, that help, that resource is ours, but it's only ours in the asking. That the giving of the Spirit is bound up in the asking for the Spirit. Now let's take a look, first of all, to, to kind of help us see this. Let's, let's look first of all at Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. Look at this passage. You may remember when we studied through Philippians, you may remember wrestling with this passage because this is a tough passage. Paul says this, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, 
this will turn out for my deliverance. Wow. Now, when we talked about that passage, we recognized that, that the context there leads us to believe that the, the deliverance that Paul's speaking of is a spiritual deliverance. So Paul says here, I know that my spiritual deliverance is guaranteed. I know it. But I also know that it's going to come by means of your prayers. So somehow God has assured and promised Paul of his spiritual deliverance, yet at the same time it's bound up in the prayers of these weak, feeble, fallen, sinful Philippian believers who live a several weeks journey away from Paul and haven't seen him for years. Yet, somehow, the spiritual resources that Paul needs, that God has promised and assured that, are, that Paul will receive, they are still bound up in the prayers of God's people. That's profound. So that's Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. But what, what that shows us, and this is where we'll go to Luke's Gospel, that shows us that there is no contradiction between the sealing of the Spirit that is given and the continued giving of the Spirit in response to prayer. There is no contradiction between the truth that the Spirit is given and we are sealed eternally in the guarantee of our inheritance, while at the same time the Spirit is given through the continual prayers of God's people. That offers to us no contradiction. Let's look to Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is discussing prayer. He's been asked about prayer, and He's given some, giving some teaching about prayer, and He's talking about the uh, continued, the effectiveness of prayer, the persistence of prayer. We know these verses, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened unto you. And then Jesus uses this example, this illustration. He says, what father among you if his son asks for a fish, he's going to give him, a, instead of a fish, a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, he's going to give him a scorpion. So Jesus gives this example. He says, you know what it's like for your kids to ask for things. What sort of situation is your child going to ask for an egg and you're going to say, no, I'm going to give him a scorpion. Or he's going to ask for a fish and, oh, how about a poisonous viper instead of a fish? It's a ludicrous example that Jesus wants us to snicker at to say that never happens. And then he argues from the lesser to the greater. If that is so absurd for an earthly sinful father to do, then what about your father in heaven? How much more absurd is it for your father in heaven for you to ask good things of him and he not give you good things? That's how I would have finished Jesus' sentence. But that's not what Jesus said. In fact, Jesus says this, How much more will the Heavenly Father give, not good things, the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's as though Jesus wanted to take that specific opportunity to give us this nugget of teaching that the apostles, the disciples who heard that, it went completely over their head. Only later, when the apostles are wrestling with this giving of the Spirit to those that it has been given, now they recall, wait a minute, do you remember what Jesus said when He was teaching us about prayer? 
He used this example with the father and the, and the serpent and the fish and all that. And then he said, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so that Jesus was making a point. And the point is that the Holy Spirit is given in response to the prayers of God's people. This also helps us to shed some light on Psalm 51. Remember Psalm 51, where David is wrestling with this sin that he's repenting of with Bathsheba. And he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Cast me not away. We sung it a little bit ago. Cast me not away. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, we are accustomed to saying that that's, that's wrapped up in Old Testament, Old Covenant theology in which the Spirit acted in a fundamentally different way, and which, is, which is true. We won't take the time to, to go through that. But, nevertheless, that is still a model prayer for us. Take not your spirit from me. Or the positive side of that, give me your spirit. Thank you for sealing me with your spirit. Give me your spirit.